Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Hey, Genius Leader. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the show. Today, I'm talking to Jill Kane, who is a workplace well-being consultant and business mentor for health and wellness coaches. Jill helps organizational leaders to create and implement a focused, multidimensional well-being strategy that drives business results and cultivates a winning culture. And it also attracts, engages, and retain, retains top talent. Who doesn't want that, right? All organizations are talking about those things. And it's great to have people like Jill on board to support the, that talk and actually implement it. She's following her mission to help corporations integrate well-being into work design while empowering employees to be healthier, happier, and more engaged and fulfilled. And with Jill, we're talking about all things uh, well-being and workplace wellness. We start with the differentiation between the two terms. That's something that I didn't think about before we hopped on the pre-chat with, with Jill. So it was good for me to also discuss the definitions of what is wellness, what is well-being, whether those are the same terms or not. And, and then we don't go into which organizations should think about it from which sides of the company or which milestone within the company development. Is it applicable to introduce some kind of workplace wellness programs? What kind of programs that could be? What kind of questions you can ask yourself? And what kind of help could you get to actually implement something that is valuable for you and your employees? Jill is is talking about the value of investment as the opposed to return investment solely because the wellness and well-being of our employees are very important parts of the success of our company and we wanted to bring up the conversation topics such as communication as well and also the role of leadership and leaders in implementing but also utilizing the programs for well-being within the companies. I hope you will pick up something from this conversation that you can implement directly today or start thinking with your leadership team already this week. We have covered quite a lot of different aspects and different topics, and that was intentional because every company is in a different stage, and we want to accommodate for that within this conversation. So whether you are already in the hyper growth of your company and you you feel like you needed this kind of thing yesterday, or whether you're still a solopreneur and just one man show or one woman show, what could you consider already now? And when could you start thinking about those things? Just that you put it on your calendar. So enjoy the conversation and I hope to hear from you what you take from this conversation and what you would like to hear more of. See you on the other side. 
So StreamYard is showing me that we're live and I want to welcome everyone to the Genius Leadership Podcast, the live edition. Today we're streaming into Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube. I'm trying to expand to different platforms and excited to see whether we get some people live commenting, asking questions. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic that a lot of people are her like hearing about, but I'm not sure everyone understands what we're talking about. And just in the pre-chat with my guest, whom I will introduce in a moment, um, I figured out that I don't know enough about that topic because I use the terms well-being and wellness almost interchangeably, but apparently that's not the case. So we're going to talk about that and so much more about the workplace and how to keep ourselves and our employees healthy. And I'm going to talk about this fascinating topic with Jill Kane, a fellow um, coach in in one of the mastermind groups or uh, networking groups that I'm part of. And uh, I'm very excited to welcome you, Jill. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and just, you know, having known you the last, uh, you know, few months. And so we've gotten to be able to have some great conversations. So I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm always learning from from the other ladies and from you in, in advance. And that's also that, that's a really the beauty of networking. It's the the founders of the network, Laura and Kelly, have really created something magical, I think, how they manage to bring people together and build a spirit uh, for us to uncover each other and, and find the best in sharing with each other. Yeah. I think we all have that same a desire to learn more and uh, educate ourselves and connect. So it's been really great. So Jill, this is a genius leadership podcast. And I usually start with asking, what is leadership and who is a leader for you? Yeah. So I think about leadership as being in the corporate environment, we hear the term manager, management. I don't think it's the same thing as being a leader. Because being a leader doesn't mean a job title or having that responsibility of people reporting to you. It's about inspiring people to really um, take action, you know, based on modeling that behavior. So I feel like that would be my definition of what makes a good leader. And you had asked me that before about different leaders. I have quite a few, but I think a couple that stand out to me, um, or one in particular would be uh, Michelle Obama. Um, I just really love she did when she was in um, office um, with the whole like let's get moving campaign and, um, and her initiatives on well-being in schools getting kids to eat more healthy and bringing more healthy food into schools so I really loved all the work that she did there to help push that effort yeah she's a great example and and I, I read her book becoming I read it in Swedish and it's called my story uh, in in Swedish but it's it's really fascinating to see how all her experiences have brought her to where she was while she was in the in the house and uh, how she was connecting the dots and as you said she she was quite big with the project let's get moving and all the healthier eating. But that also took a while to learn, okay, what is actually the problem really? And she really needed to dig deep and study and understand what is going on, where the root, where is the root cause to the, the, the huge problems that we are seeing nowadays. So I think she's, as you said, I agree with you. She's a great example of leader because she, first of all, takes action, as you said. Uh, like she has the deep understanding and the willingness to learn. And then she takes action on what she's learning and she has the capacity to inspire others by her own example, first and foremost. Yeah. And, and I think the other part too, is just being able to kind of take 
adversity and take resistance, especially when you're starting something new and you're really passionate about it, you may not have all that support. So you have to kind of lead yourself and be that strength and support and seek out other people, ambassadors, people who are going to be part of that mission, part of that team. Mm -hmm. And you really can't do that unless you're showing leadership qualities, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you can have all the, the good intentions in the world, but if you can't in a really, you know, effective way, show people the purpose behind what you're doing, the vision, why it matters to that, connect the dots of this is what we're aiming to do and here's why, and here's how you can help and here's how you can contribute. And I think she did that really, really well. So um, yeah, I love, love that question. Thanks a lot for, for the example. It's, it's really a great reminder that anyone can be that, right? And, and anyone can become the, the great influencer, not in the social media way, but in the impact way. And you don't have to come from a fancy background or rich, rich family to, to reach that. So you, you said about the great intention, and I think that's a good bridge to the topic that we want to discuss, really. So I want to really start from this definition of what is workplace wellness and what what is well-being so let's just get it straight what's the difference yeah and i don't think you're that far off and a lot of people use those words interchangeably i do as well and everybody has different definitions of what wellness is and what well-being is and i just think from like kind of the corporate standpoint um historically we thought of workplace wellness as more pertaining to the medical health, keeping health insurance premiums down was really the biggest driver of why that started getting traction and attention. The physical health aspects of it have always been really at the forefront. But I think even before the pandemic, but especially in the last year, that it's gotten to be this bigger definition. So I, I kind of view wellness as looking more at the physical health. Like that's typically the definition that's given. Well-being is really much broader, looking at the whole person's health. So your physical, your emotional, social, financial health, all the different dimensions of of well-being that really just matter because you take your whole self to work. So if you have financial stress, it's not like you can put that aside and you can do that for a while and be productive, but ultimately it's going to affect you because all those parts are integrated. So it's really looking at what's going to help people thrive and be their best. So that, you know, hopefully that clarifies it a little bit, but yeah. that, I just think of it as well-being is a lot broader, compasses mm-hmm. a lot more. That's, that's a great clarification for me. Like I'm not a native speaker. So for me, it's still about playing around with the words and understanding them. And yeah, wellness, I usually also associate with the physical health in some way. So it's good to see that, okay, this is the part of the well-being and it's only one aspect of that broader term of well-being. Thanks for the clarification. And talking about the wellness, workplace wellness, and also, I guess, we're now transitioning more into look, talking about the workplace well-being or something like this. You're helping companies, organizations to introduce the programs for, to care for their employees. Could you talk a bit about who would need it from when organizations should start looking at that? Maybe some like size of the company in employees or in turnover, or maybe it's a milestone that they reach. Who should start thinking about that as a leader? I think from day one, really, from anybody starting a company, you know, start with yourself. So if you're um, an entrepreneur working for yourself, it's eventually you will have employees. 
most likely or contractors, but it's all how you are showing up. So taking care of yourself. And that extends to even if you're leading larger companies, because I would talk all the time about, you know, there, there's definitely companies that have really great programs, really great um, benefits. But if the culture is kind of in a state where, you know, there's a lot of things that are unclear or like a lot of change happening, um, a lot of stress going on, different um, departments feel siloed and disconnected, then, you know, we don't see a lot of participation. So it's really about the whole, not only offering this, you know, programs and the different um, initiatives and opportunities to get involved in well-being, but to communicate them, to advocate them, to also um, lead, like we were talking about, the leader is really what makes or breaks uh, workplace wellness and the effectiveness of that initiative. Because if they're not, you know, being visible and seen, uh, participating, advocating, communicating about it consistently and frequently, then, you know, employees kind of get that like kind of um, invisible message, right? That, you know, it's there, but I can't really use it. I've got to meet this deadline and I can't take a break right now or I can't participate in those things. And then I think um, another piece, so I want to answer your question first about like the size of companies. So Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, starting early, even at a small company size, but typically, you know, startups are employing the sales and marketing people first and kind of the engineers or the people who are delivering the product or service and then HR people are brought in at some point, you know, usually a person or two, and then it starts growing from there. And then you see that they're growing fast and now they're looking for what are we going to do workplace wellness wise to support people's well being. And I think that it could be anywhere from, you know, 20 employees, 50 employees. That's where we're going to start seeing those questions come up. Um, and then, you know, from there, I think it just continues to grow. The other piece of that, I think, is that this idea about workplace wellness, and I look at like kind of before and after. So it originally is kind of thought of as a set of programs or a set of benefits, a set of services. And it's this kind of entity, this thing that you do alongside work. Now, I think that we're starting to look at well-being as it's integrated into everything that you do, right? So it's about not necessarily just programs, but like taking breaks, um, you know, making sure that you have what you need to perform at your best. So if we're working at home, do you have a good location that um, you can work from and not have so many distractions? Like all those things matter for well-being. It's more about like financial stress and how we're dealing with that. Even like there's a lot of talk about returning to work and the stress and anxiety on on that mm-hmm. as well. So you know, we're seeing wellness and well-being really become kind of integrated into all those conversations and mm-hmm. into the the culture, the employee experience, and, and not just as kind of like, I don't know if this makes sense to you, because it kind of is thought of more as like a benefit. It's something that's all employees have access to certain programs and things. And now we're thinking of it more holistically, like it's not a program. It's part of your the way that we do work and the way culture. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I really like that you mentioned that word culture, and I will come back to that. But just to summarize that, it's never too early to start. That's what I hear. Start from one, because uh, well-being, we all have it, right? We have all mental health, for example. We have all, all our physical health and all the aspects of life, they affect us. So even if you're a solopreneur, start already now with thinking about what the, like, what is my culture? What is the company culture that I'm building right now? Even if I'm the, the one-man show, what what kind of values do I want to follow? And what kind of values do I want to preach and walk the talk when I do start getting employees? But then you, as I said, uh, Jill, the sweet spot of starting to actively think about the, the po- programs to integrate in and really kind of guide the culture is around 15, 20 employees or so. And I would guess that it's not too late to start, right? If someone is listening right now, some genius leaders is tuning in and they're like, oh, I already have 200 employees. It's not like it the world is over, you could still start and implement something that will benefit your bottom line and also the health and well-being of your employees. Yeah, absolutely. It's never too late to start or to begin. And I think like what you just mentioned was a really great point of looking at the, every company has a a mission and a vision statement and core values. And we have to think of the same for our workplace wellness initiative. So we want to have, what's the vision for that? What kind of um, you know culture do we want to have? We would want to be really intentional about designing programs and policies, and you know just ways of working that are going to help facilitate embodying that vision. So I think a lot of times it's go to the health insurance provider, see what programs they have, and pick from a menu and kind of implement, which can be fine too because you. Are, you know, if you're looking at um, employee survey data and health claim data and seeing what the needs are and kind of matching up to programs that are offered, that's great. You know, but I think that it continues to evolve. So that can be a great place to start. And then to evolve from there is just always listening to employees, asking the questions, getting the feedback, and really um, being intentional about what you want that culture to be and you know, putting things in place and helping teams. Um, work together in a way that helps facilitate those cultural kind of um, values that you want to have in your organization. I think if you're, you're talking about the very important point about this, being aware of, okay, what do we want to build here? Because I see it with quite a lot of startups when they start with like very small team, maybe three up to five people. They usually have quite similar background. They have quite similar personality. Those are the kind of high drive, high performance entrepreneurs who are super visionary and really want to get their idea on the market because they see that it's needed there. And that works fine, right? Without discussing, okay, what is our culture and so on. They're just so uh, united and and somehow similar in in the ways they see the work and life and so on that it's not a problem. But then we come into this exponential growth and hyper growth. That's the the theme uh, where this, our conversation is a part of that is where this culture starts cracking because you inevitably start hiring people who are not like you, which you should be doing, right? We're talking so much about the value of diversity and how much that is positively affecting your business and your collaboration within the team. But that means that people start thinking differently or you you start employing people who are thinking differently, who are maybe prioritizing different things. And it's so important to be aware of, okay, what do we want to keep? What are we 
what do we want to be flexible with so that we can actually accommodate for all these differences that we are getting into the team and actually create synergies between these differences and not create conflicts based on them. So how could people actually start thinking about those things? What kind of questions can you ask yourself as a leader, Jill, so that you start getting the right answers, let's say that way? Yeah, you know, I think that you're absolutely right. Companies start, they're, uh, you know, employing people just like them or they're starting um, based on they went to college together, they had a great idea of uh, a product or service they want to offer and they start kind of with your friends and with the people you know and you've kind of done some work with. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of like-mindedness and then eventually, inevitably, you're going to hire people that have different skill sets, have different backgrounds. um, And you do want to do that because obviously that is what will help your company grow because you're typically serving all customers and they're all different personalities and backgrounds. So I think one of the key things there is really looking at training managers, really helping managers with their soft skills, with their, um, you know, being able to really engage, especially right now with remote teams, but in, in general, just engaging with their teams and really being able to give feedback evaluate and delegate and really kind of work in a way that works for that manager and that team. And I think that can look different for different managers and different teams. And, you know, they have different kind of um, goals and work styles and just being, having that awareness. I think there's a lot to be said for just being aware, even if you don't know the right answer or you don't have experience working with the different cultures or with different kind of people on different backgrounds or different skill sets or have kind of different thoughts about things. I think it's having the awareness and just the ability to listen, to ask good questions and to really be able to take and give that feedback too. And again, that kind of ties into well-being too, because then you're helping the team enable them to be high performers and work their best. And really you can't have that conversation about well-being and wellness without talking about that too. Like a lot of it is driven by we want to attract and retain high quality top talent. We want to have high performers and people really engaged. And if you want all of those things, that's great, but you have to start with their foundation has to be well-being. Well-being has to be in place. Um, And if they're overworked, overstressed, uh, the communication is poor or there's disconnects, then there's going to start becoming cracks in the foundation there. Yeah, for sure. And just as you said, leaders are essential and instrumental in this process. As you said, you can have the best programs and processes in, implemented in uh, in your organization on paper, but if the leaders don't follow them, if the leaders are not the ambassadors of those, then they're just a waste of the resources within the company because people do as we do as leaders, not as we say. And I've had so many examples, both good and bad ones of that. And it's very important to understand that you as a leader have to be the first promoter of the things that you have implemented and you have to be the first user of them and really implement them and showcase that, hey guys, this is important for us as a company. This is important for me as a leader that you take care of this or or like use those benefits because we want you to be healthy. We want you to stay sustainable and perform in a good way without sacrificing any area of your life. Yeah. And I think that it goes to, again, using the programs is great, but also enabling them to have um, 
well-being in other areas. So the social connection has been a huge piece over the last year, right? So mm-hmm. how do we enable that peer-to-peer support? So I know companies have instituted like employee resource groups. So you know, these are employees that kind of come together over a common interest or common kind of um, life stage. So we have uh, DEI, ERG, we have uh, one that's focused on working parents and caregivers. Mm-hmm. So even if they're just coming together once a month virtually to just network and say, you know, here's what I'm dealing with, you know, are, you, mm. are your kids still uh, at home working, you know, doing schoolwork mm. and, and just sharing those ideas, even if we're not able to always give tips, we're, it's just great to have somebody else who understands and you know, you're not alone. I think that's a big mm. part of it too, because we all assume we're the only one going through something and that's never the case. And so I think that really goes a long way in in figuring out, you know, as a leader, these are the mechanisms you can put in place. So it's about showing up in so many different ways. And not only the leader may be participating in some of the programs, putting in place some of these mechanisms that help enable their teams to really have that well-being and have that Mm -hmm. connection. Another um, kind of thing, for example, of of leadership in how that looks in terms of Mm Um, how they are enabling employees to really come together and work in a more effective way. So mm-hmm. I think there is just, you know, asking those questions. Um, oh, another thing I, I thought of is that in the last year, so the company I work for, um, they're really great on communication and even just having your CEO, your leadership team put out videos, put out messages that, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the last year, just to say, we don't know what's going on. We don't have the answers, but we're here. We care about you. And here are, you know, some resources we want to share with you, or, you know, even just sharing like what's going on in their personal life and what they're up to. Like you get that connection and you don't feel so isolated as isolation. Mm-hmm. Even if you are in a household filled with kids and people <laughs> still, you have that like lack of connection with the workplace with your colleagues you see it saw face to face and have coffee with and so you don't have that now and so it's really really important just to have those little touch points and those little moments to put in place that really people don't think of that as well-being but that is part of it it's part of that communication and how they're showing up hey genius leader i'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. I really love that you pointed out, Jill, because it's so important, those small things that really make a huge difference and a big impact. So I have an example of Icelandic Post. Uh, I had uh, an employee from from there, the uh, who worked on the digitalization uh, of, of their processes and the whole operational operations, the whole chain, Cecilia Birkestotter. And she was sharing on the show that they actually built their film studio in their office before COVID to communicate, 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 to be able to be quick, like, okay, now we feel like this is, there is some misunderstanding going on within the company. We go into the studio, we shoot a video, me, the CEO, and so on. We have a team in-house editing it and we put it out so that we are clear on where we're going, what are the challenges, what are the next steps and so on and so forth. And she was talking about that. If you think that you're communicating and you're communicating too much, communicate more. 
And people, it was a, a live uh, event and people asked her like, okay, which channels are you usually using? And she's like, oh, both internal and external. So she's like, uh, a big part of our transformation was actually going on the, sh- on the national media and getting the coverage. And it was, of course, for the like general population because everyone is affected by the transformation that's going on within the Icelandic post. But she said the big part of our big thought behind that was actually to communicate with our employees because not everyone is checking the intranet, the workplace, Slack, whatever they would be using. There are postmen, post people who are like serving the customers, right? They are delivering the packages, they're standing in the post offices and, and working with the customers. And they're super important for us. They are really important players in the whole transformation. And if we don't reach them through our internal channels, then we need to go to the national media and actually reach them that way. So they, when they read the news, they know what's going on. And I think it's such an important part. And, and what you said afterwards, like when Corona hit and we couldn't uh, record uh, from, from the studio and just we didn't have the luxury of waiting. So she said, we just started shooting videos like the CEO was posting on his daily walk. Like here are like my, my two minutes of my day. Like those are the thoughts that this is what I'm going on. What is going on? What is on my table right now? Those are the things that I'm struggling with and so on. So it's so important to show those things and to be present. And just as you said, really creating the space for the conversation, asking the questions, opening up and this makes a whole world of a difference to people because they see that there is, it's okay to discuss those things. And even if not discuss, if they don't feel open enough to discuss those things, they see that they're supported within their organization and they, it's okay to feel those things, to go through those struggles. And as I said, it, it really makes a huge difference. Yes. And I love that you talked about the communication because even if you feel like you're communicating too much, it's not because it takes people sometimes multiple communications before they're ready to open up. And I think that we saw that too, like the leadership and CEO and just different team members, when people share kind of gives everybody else permission to share, right? Mm -hmm. So it may be something personal or maybe just sharing through an email chain, like pictures of your pet, pictures of your workspace. We did like you know, different things like that, but it just helped people feel connected and feel like they were thought of, right? So mm-hmm. I think that even like CEO taking uh, time on his walk to get a two-minute message in, that's really great because it's just showing that level of care. And maybe we don't have all the answers, but here's what I'm going through. And then inviting them to, you know, reply or talk and open up that conversation. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, that also is another piece um, I wanted to talk about too, was just the whole, the, the mental health conversation really. And just um, depending upon the organization, I guess you work for, but being, you know, in a more health care and health related environment, the conversation was kind of already there, but it kind of gave that permission for more people to feel comfortable and just take that mental health day, take that time, take that break ask for what you need versus just trying to struggle and, and get through it and grind through your workday and kind of not show anybody what, what's going on. I think when leadership is showing those little moments um, and even having little huddles and conversations about that, it gives other people permission to feel like, you know, even if they aren't sharing, they're thought of, they know that there's a, there's a connection point, there's a bridge, right? If they're they have an invitation to share or to connect with that leader or with other people on their team if they need that support. So I, I'm hopeful that that will continue and that will just continue to expand throughout more organizations 
well after this year because I think that we can't go back <laughs> to what mm-hmm. it was before. So that's one of the positive, I guess, the bright spots I've seen really come out of the last year is that whole mm-hmm. willingness to have the conversation and more opportunities to create those spaces for those conversations to happen. Yeah, definitely. It's it's good to see the beautiful moments of this tough year for sure. Uh, talking about multiplying, scaling, scaling the implementation of these programs, where should our listeners and viewers start, Jill? If they're listening and watching us and thinking like, this is something we need within my organization, where do they start? Whom do they go to? Who in their company should be involved? What kind of questions do they need to discuss internally? Guide us through the process at least a bit. Yeah. So I think it would look different depending on the size of the company. So if you're pretty small, only a few employees, it's really just talking to those employees about what they need and putting maybe some some programs in place and bringing in some um, different um, benefits addressing the different dimensions of well-being for those employees. So really to start, it's kind of a lot of companies will lean on their health insurance provider for those services or they'll um, kind of look at what they're currently doing and, and bring in vendors. And that, that's kind of how usually a lot of workplace wellness starts. Mm-hmm. But if you have more employees and you're really looking to make this a part of your culture, I think it really is kind of like what my process is kind of going through different five different stages. So the first stage is really helping the leadership team and your organization come up with their vision and their mission and their defined approach towards well-being, what they want this to look like. So they have a roadmap, they have a, a vision and a plan, right? Before we even do anything, let's just decide what are your company culture values and what do you want your current and future employees to experience at work and really be thoughtful and planful and intentional about designing that. And then from there, that's really about kind of roadmapping out a one-year plan, uh, what programs and policies, what kind of things do we need to put in place today to get those results? And then um, the communication piece I mentioned, I think there's definitely got to be a plan for that. And I think that not only within the workplace wellness kind of committee, but also connecting, you got to connect with your HR people, with your internal communications people, with the leadership. So ideally, like as a consultant coming in, I'm helping this get off the ground, but really want the company to have a team in place. You want to have a wellness committee. You want to have somebody leading this so that it can continue Mm -hmm. evolving and growing as you're going on year one, year two, and beyond. So you want to have people who I I call wellness champions, so people throughout the company and different departments, ideally, different levels of leadership, different levels of you know, roles in the company so you get different perspectives and have them meet regularly and talk about what are the concerns, what are the things that we need to put in place. So getting that feedback, I do a lot of work on assessing, you know, through surveys, through through focus groups, through interviews, just getting the top concerns, the top kind of priorities in the well-being areas. Like what are the top three things you want to work on this year? And looking also at if you have it available, like health claim data. So it might show you know, if you have a huge organization with different locations, one location may need um, more education on diabetes management and another may need something else. So we want to be really planful of it's not a one size fits all if you have a large organization, but you know, each 
location can have their own little team that's kind of managing and really on the ground floor hearing those concerns so we can be really responsive. So it's a whole like, you know, kind of uh, initiative where you really got to get in there with that company and understand their values, what's different location to location, you know, how diverse your workforce is, it's going to come into play as well, and then develop a plan and then help enable and train people within the company to carry that on. And then finally, evaluating. So I like to do at the end of the year, kind of evaluate, not, not only checking the box, how many people downloaded the app and used it and how many people logged into this program, but what are their feedback? You know, what, what um, feedback have we heard from people on the things that we offered? What prohibited them from participating? Did they feel like they could participate? Was it just too challenging? Mm-hmm. And of course, this last year, you know, surprisingly, you know, participation and utilization was up for mm-hmm. like fitness classes online and for like some of the, the mental health services. So that's positive. But I think, again, it will change year to year depending upon what's going on. So you have to do these evaluations at least once a year to really say, are these programs still relevant? Do we need to bring in something new next year? And I think that what what I've seen is a lot of companies will have HR people that may bring in vendors to kind of do this work, but then they come, they do it, and then they go. So they don't have that long-term plan in place, Mm -hmm. enabling them to continue this process year after year. So that's kind of where where I would come in and help the company really get set up for the long-term success, especially if they're growing really fast and adding a lot of employees. As you're adding employees, you really want to be planful about that employee experience you want them to have. And the more that we can get ahead of that and start early, the better you'll be, for sure. I'd love to emphasize a couple of things you said. First, when you come on board, you actually start with why, right? What Simon Sinek is talking about, start with why. You sit down with the leadership team and you're thinking, what is our ethos when we're talking about the the whole program that we want to implement here. Why do we want to do it? How does it want to, like, how do we want it to look like? So this is very important to have this motivation so that the leadership team has a proper buy-in into the processes. Second thing I thought was was good that you mentioned that you're coming in, right? And you're saying that you're, you're doing a lot of investigation, you're like getting, gathering data. And I think it's good to get people like you, external ones, who can ask different kinds of questions. Because quite often we don't know what we don't know, right? And if even if you, we have a team, diverse team of the uh, wellness champions sitting there uh, and discussing things, we're still we're sharing the company, we're sharing the issues, and we like we might might still be too unified in some background ways of ours, so that we don't notice some obvious things, obvious from uh, for an outsider, but for us. Those just don't come, don't cross our mind. And you can come in, for example, and find those low hanging fruit that companies can implement, for example, and, and really make a difference for the well being of their employees. Yeah. And even if they're, they're probably currently doing things right in some aspects, in some areas. So we want to say what's going well and what can we improve upon that. Mm-hmm. Anytime you bring in a consultant or anybody, it's always this like, you know, sometimes the positive change and other times change is change, right? People have some kind of aversion to it on some level. So how do we get them more comfortable? We're just going to take what you're currently doing 
and mm-hmm. expand upon that and then maybe bring in some things, but all the things that we're doing are coming straight from that leadership team from employees throughout the company. And we want to get a diverse, you know, a bunch of opinions and feedback from different areas. So it's not just coming from leadership, but it's coming from as many different types of employees in different areas as possible so that Mm -hmm. we can be sure that it's relevant and that will increase the likelihood that people will be more on board. I think sometimes some of these things is a a cultural shift, especially if you're introducing it kind of later you have that period of time where it's going to take people to warm up and really lean into it. Because even though we're offering these programs, maybe the culture is still really fast paced and I've got too many deadlines and I can't pay attention to that right now, but it will shift, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. got to from the top as well, but yeah, definitely. I think there is a huge, huge piece of it up front about setting that vision and the mission, getting that, um, information and feedback directly from the workforce from the employees and getting so it's getting the quantitative data from you know as many sources as possible that you know if there are other programs that have run in the past how many participated uh, what were the results like and that kind of stuff so you can get some numbers from maybe the health insurance company but ultimately it's also going to be the that qualitative data that feedback directly yeah. from employees and giving them a way to a channel to communicate directly to the vendor, like an outside vendor anonymously, because there could be things they don't want to share that through their manager, right? So that's going to get a really great overview to, um, to implement something that's going to be really relevant and really important and really um, hopefully exciting to employees. I want to uh, quote two of my guests for from the previous episodes of the show, uh, when you talked about change is change, that uh, one of my um, guests, uh, Chabatot, was talking about that, that that word by itself, it, it means that if we need to change something, something is not good enough. And that per- automatically creates the, the mindset of resistance in a way. And he's suggesting to talk about leveling up or upgrading, just like when you do in the games, you go to the next level. So yeah, you've reached this level, you've gone to the come to the end of it, and then you just keep leveling up yourself, be it yourself as the person, be it yourself as the organization and the culture and so on. And the second thing you said about that sometimes it's uh, hard to find time and it's too busy and we can't focus on that. There, I think we, again, need to tap into the why of our, us as an organization and the culture that we want to build. Because if the wellness and uh, well-being are not the priorities, what is that, and here I want to quote one of my clients, Daniel Carson, who was on the, on the show. And he was saying about that. If you want to start developing yourself next week or in three weeks or in three months, because then it will be better with your schedule. He's like, the chances are like super low that your calendar will look differently next week or in three weeks or in three months. And you just need to put the stick in the ground and really decide this is important for me and I need to find time in my calendar to do so. And it's very important to identify what are those non-negotiables for you as the person, as the leader, as the organization that you want to have and you want to live by. And if well-being is one of those things that you, you for example, say in your uh, values for organization that our employees are important for us, then I don't see any other way that rather than well-being being one of the priorities that is non-negotiable for the whole organization. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the foundation. They can't perform their best if they're not taking care of that first. So mm-hmm. it, it all ties in together, I think. You know, and again, with change, I think all organizations go through change, whether it's, you know, growing through acquisitions or they're downsizing or expanding. Employees are coming and going. There's always change going on with your individual mm-hmm. role, with the whole company as a whole. So it's being comfortable with that, but also I think what really has helped and just over my experience and 20 years in HR is just um, the communication. When there's high communication, even if there aren't always answers, just having constant communication really helps because what it does is takes away some of the uncertainty. It takes away some of that people aren't getting answers. They're going to invent their own. And then- Other people will um, hear that and say, is that true? And, you know, so before you know it, there's a lot of misconceptions going around. So I think that it's really important to focus on the change in that respect. And then, um, you know, I think another thing I hear a lot about, especially in the past year, is just in terms of workloads and people um, being, you know, working more. They're actually working more Mm -hmm. There, there's no clear boundaries between work and home anymore. And you're on the computer and you're doing other things. So, you know, people are coming back and logging back in late at night. So we need to have managers and leaders really um, be aware of that and really think about what question can you ask yourself? What can you do to help that kind of go away? So people really feel okay. They feel like they have the permission to disconnect and you know, maybe it's it's tougher, like in a global organization or with different time zones, but set specific times of day where, you know, no emails after this time or on weekends or something. So just things like that, I think will go a long way towards helping with that um, prevention of burnout and high stress. So I think that leadership's role is not only enabling the programs, but just showing and modeling that example and putting those resources and mechanisms in place that are really going to help enable people to take care of their well-being. And it's tough. I uh, I will be super honest. I'm I'm guilty of that at the moment. I always was about promoting the time uh, to wind down in the evening and so on and so forth. And nowadays, more and more often, I found myself checking uh, uh, my messages on LinkedIn and so on because that kind of substituted other social media for me. Instead of going and scrolling to Instagram, for example, I'd rather go and check out my messages for LinkedIn. And I know that it's not an optimal way. And we're discussing it with some partners of mine, the people with whom I'm masterminding and with my team. How can I improve it? How can they hold me accountable and so on? Because my business is a baby of mine and it's so difficult to to really log out completely and check out. (laughs) And uh, what I was quite good at before in the corporate space I'm struggling with at the moment as an entrepreneur and a small business owner. So sometimes you you will have those challenges. And then as we discussed earlier, it's good to have the space to bring those topics up and to discuss them, to speak up and say, hey, this is my challenge now. And especially if if you are the solopreneur, I have a a small team uh, who are working part-time for me. So I'm not completely alone in my business, but that's the thing. Whom could you engage, even if it's not someone within your organization with whom you can discuss those things and and really keep the things that are important for you on top of the mind and really act accordingly. And talking about challenges, Jill, this is something I would like to ask you. Which 
struggles and challenges do you notice among your clients, uh, whether it is about deciding what to implement or the process of implementation or the process of keeping up with what is implemented in the organization? I think a few things. So I think the utilization of some of the, the apps and programs that are currently there. And I think part of it is it's hard to ju- judge if it's just because the last year has been so tough for everybody or is it really truly people aren't interested in these types of offerings. So I think that's one challenge is kind of understanding that a bit. And I think in general, it's, it's always been a challenge to measure well-being, measure what's what's been effective, even just deciding what do we measure has been a challenge and how we do that because they're showing up in ways that you can't necessarily always put a number to. So productivity and feeling better, like, so some of these things you can't put a number to, but we know that it's important. It's overall going to impact the overall organization. So I think that that's always been a challenge and I think that will continue to be a challenge, but I think it is becoming at least in, um, this kind of local area, I feel like there's more of a understanding that wellness. So, so initially there was a lot of conversation on what's the ROI, what's the return on investment, the money piece of it. And, and while we still know that there is a cost to certain things that, you know, there's a value return, right? That's even greater that we can imagine. So I think that there's more of a understanding amongst leadership that that is the case, that it's not a cost that's sunk, that's going to just, you know, not produce any relevant benefits. It ultimately will. And I think that depending upon the area that you're in too, like we're in a very competitive job market. So there's a lot of emphasis on companies wanting to be a, a best place to work and wanting to really attract the best people because they have so many options right now. They could go anywhere. So you really have to emphasize the importance of well-being, the importance of, you know, putting things in place that employees care about if you want to keep those employees engaged and around. And again, it goes beyond the physical, like it's the career growth. Like, do I have an opportunity to continue to grow in my career, which we're seeing is even more on the tops of minds of the younger generations. They, they want the career growth. They want more opportunities to, um, to take on different types of work that interest them. So do we have something in place that's going to accommodate that? So yeah, so just being in HR, I think that I kind of tend to think of all the different areas within HR and how well-being plays a part because it's just so interconnected within so much of the company. Um, And there's so much of the talk about employee experience. So this idea of, you know, we, we talk about customer experience. We talk about how we want our customers to feel and all the things we put in place for customers. So it's kind of that same thinking, but applied to employees. We want to have the best employees and we want to treat them really well so that they stay with us and grow and, you know, do their best work and feel great and have connections and bonds at work. We want to facilitate that. So we need to think about well-being. We need to think about mm-hmm how we're creating that environment for them and how we're, you know, having the spaces for them to connect, you know, in this remote environment. Yeah. So I think it just creates such a big conversation. I could talk about it for forever. <laughs> it is, it is a big, and, and we need to start somewhere. Right. And, and I think it's, it's great that you have covered quite a lot of points because at least some of them will resonate with our listeners and viewers. And that's the thing, like they don't have to like, 
cover everything that we have discussed today, but start thinking about one aspect that we have discussed or you have covered and, and just go from there. Keep it simple for yourself. Don't overwhelm yourself with like, oh, there is too much to do. No, take one tiny step in the beginning and that will that will actually bring you forward. That's what is bringing you forward. Not saying, sitting there and thinking, what is the biggest thing I can do? The one thing that will kind of solve it all. No, there is no one thing like that. It's really all those tiny things that we discussed that make the difference. Jill, I would like to wrap up with three questions that I usually ask. One of them is, what would be your three pieces of advice to the genius leaders tuning in? Sure. So I think that on this topic of well-being, like you talked about, um, where do we start? I think, again, it's really listening to those employees, listening to what they need. Another challenge that we have saw, too, was just um, offering things like mental wellness workshops and webinars. We're still asking people to be online. It's asking people to tune into more more Zoom calls and more videos, which is mm. kind of defeating the purpose a little bit. But so kind of that's the challenge too is thinking about that. Like how can we do something maybe that is a little outside of the box that comes directly from those employees. So I would start with listening to the employees would be mm. my first piece of advice. I think again just thinking beyond the physical health, really paying mm. attention to the mental health of employees. And creating lots and lots of communication and touch points at the senior leadership level and at all the managerial levels to ensure that there's always touch points with all employees throughout. So even um, employees are you know meeting with their manager once a week or just having that email check in, just hey, how are you doing? So I think that's become even more critical and more important. And then I would just say, you know, overall, like it's really paying attention to how do we evolve? So I guess it depends upon the companies if you're staying remote or you're going to allow people to go back to work. Just start thinking about um, what that means and what that could look like. I think a lot of companies who are planning to have some employees go back to work have already put plans in place for that. I had a conversation earlier about one kind of interesting thing, which was that some employees have had babies during the pandemic, or I know so many who've gotten pets during the pandemic. And, you know, those babies and pets, they only know that you're home all the time, 24 seven with them. And if you're going back to the office, there's now, they're going to have to adjust as well. So it's just things to think about that we, we typically never had to think about before that you want to be thinking about your particular employees and their life stages and what they're going to need the most in terms of bringing them back to the office or allowing them to continue to work remotely, how can you set them up for success? So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the biggest piece to focus on probably over the next year is how do we continue to help people? Because after a year plus of, of doing this, people are at their, the point of just beyond burnout, beyond frustration and just, you know, that we're in a different place now. And I think it depends again, geographically where we are, we're, we're seeing people going back to work. Some people are talking about that they're going back to work soon. So really just taking into consideration what that means for people and that they're going to have some fears and anxieties and some concerns around that because they haven't mm-hmm. had to do it in over a year. So how can yeah. we really address that up front? Yeah, it's good. And it actually, that sounds like you have already answered my question. The, the next question would be what one practical piece of advice that uh, or actionable step that our viewers and listeners can take order today and start implementing. And it sounds like th- this could be a, a suggestion. And correct me if, if you would like to 
suggest something else, but really sitting down and thinking like, how do I want my workplace and our well-being program to be post-pandemic? Just really designing that wishful scenario uh, and then think, start thinking how to implement those things. Yeah, I think it's, it is. I think that's what it is. And I think it's thinking about how can you know my employees succeed at work? How can they be mm-hmm. their best? in terms of well-being, health, and just in terms of the way that they're working too. Does that have to change now? Um, is it realistic to have everybody back in the office um, mm-hmm. you know, for a normal workday, five days a week? Maybe not. So how can we you know, move forward and continue to move forward and integrate and work as you know, maybe hybrid teams or fully remote teams? Um, I think that really asking that question. Um, and like going back to what we talked about earlier, just being really intentional. So yes, sitting down and kind of coming up with those values and like those mm-hmm. that vision of what you want for that well-being program, but then taking it to the employees, doing surveys, getting the feedback, asking those questions, giving them the opportunity. And if you've been doing it all along, that's great. Then you have something to go off of, you know, you know, who's struggling and with what and what you can do to kind of address those things through your workplace wellness program. So I think that we're going to see, you know, more attention be paid to, to those things going forward. And, um, you know, I think that it's a great place to start is just kind of asking those employees, getting that feedback directly from them and then going from there. Mm-hmm. Jill, we have a question here from audience. Zainab Hefni. She first uh, said, uh, commented, uh, nice awareness when we discussed a bit earlier. But then she also asked, uh, do you have any mental illness prevention strategies? And I think that could be a whole topic, a separate topic, but maybe you can give a couple of quick pieces of advice or resources to refer to. Yeah, so I'm not sure where you're located, but I know one um, organization called NAMI, which I can give you the link. Anna. Um, okay. It's a uh, great NAMI.org, I believe it is. Um, mm-hmm. So they provide a lot of resources on, on mental health. So I'm not sure if you're asking about mental health or mental illness in particular, but um, mm-hmm. for mental health resources, that's a great place to start and, and gather some information that can really help. So they, they do a lot of work um, with organizations. We've used a lot of their resources, corporations um, mm-hmm. I've been in as well. So that's a great place to start. Great, thanks. We'll put it in the show notes that people can just uh, reach easily. Uh, and talking about resources, people want to reach out to you, learn more about what you do, or reach out uh, because they would like to work with you. Where, you know, what's the best way of doing so? Sure. So you could do that on on LinkedIn. I'm just under Jill Kane, or my website, which is jill-kane.com. Great. We'll put those as well in the show notes so that people are easily accessing that information. Jill, so thank you so much for, for your time and for sharing the experience that you have. And I, I hope to hear from you, dear genius leaders, uh, what resonated with you, what you're taking away and how you want to implement it in your organizations. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 